Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini episode. I'm Amy Helms here with my co host, Kim Askew. And Kim, we did an episode last week on Ruth Prar Jabvala, who was basically one third of the genius that we associate with Merchant Ivory Productions. Yeah. And even though her name might not be in that branding, she wrote the lion's share of their screenplays and won two Oscars. So please go back and listen to last week's episode before you dive into this one. If you haven't already, go learn about Ruth. She basically inspired us to want to talk more about Merchant Ivory films, right? Yeah. You got us started and yeah, we're going to keep going. So I have to tell my story about the first time I ever saw A Room with a View. I was probably a senior in high school and I was babysitting a lot at the time. Mm -hmm. So whenever you babysit and the parents don't get home till like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So their kids go to sleep and you have hours to do whatever. So I was at this house where they had a ton of VHS tapes and I see a room with a view and I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. I hadn't read the book ever, but I've heard of a room with a view. So I'm going to watch this. I got about midway through and the worst thing possible happened parents came home. Oh no. And I was like, they yeah. cannot be home yet. I have to finish this. And so, you know, I had to immediately go out and get a copy from the library so that I could finish this. It became my favorite movie of all. It still is my favorite movie of all time. I just, it's a perfect movie to me. And that's one of the reasons that we are best friends because I completely agree. I can watch it over and over and over again. I never get tired of it. It is gorgeous, beautiful, emotional. It's everything. It's Italy, but it's the Anglophile thing. I just love it. So then I became obsessed with it. And I was telling my friends in high school, it's so good. We have to watch it. They're not English majory types, so they mm-hmm. don't quite share my interest. But I was like, I promise you'll love it so much. Yeah. And my friend, Trisha, her dad owned his own small business. And so one Friday night, we went to the back behind the print shop, like the office in the print shop and watched Room with a View. I don't know if they were as into it as I was until they got to the scene with a full frontal male nudity, which is about like a five minute scene. And they were just rolling on the floor laughing. Merchant Ivory films are kind of known for that. They Mm -hmm. always kind of go there. Yeah. Sophisticated nudity. (laughs) Although it wasn't sophisticated. They were splashing in a lake or whatever. So um, I was reading James Ivory's memoir that just came out last year. And he talked about that. He said when Room with a View had its premiere you couldn't actually hear the dialogue in that scene because everyone in the audience was just losing it. I love it. Because it's just not something you would have seen in film that much at the time. This is taking me back to our Somewhere in Time movie challenge, you know, that we did. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. How can I forget? Yeah. If you haven't listened to that one, that's in our Mackinac Island episode. But in this case, I know that I don't ever need to go back and judge whether Room with a View still holds up. It always will in my mind. Yeah. And I will say every year I read the book and watch the movie. That's amazing. Every single year, it's like a touchstone for me. I'm going to get like, but it reminds me of the beauty of life and experiences and treasuring those moments. That's what the book's about. Exactly. And it's great to be reminded of that once a year, just like go back and be like, yes, yes. The beauty of life. Don't forget to look at it that way. Don't get lost in the weeds, but focus on those beautiful moments that are out there. So what about Remains of the Day, Howard's End? They did both of those too. Yeah. I mean, I love all of those. Still, Room with a View is my favorite, but I've watched all of those multiple times and will continue to do so forever. They're like I think that trio, those are the top three for me. So Remains of the Day, Howard's End, Room yep. with a View. Yeah. 
what we're going to do for this episode, guys, is we watched some of the lesser known Merchant Ivory movies. We wanted to vet them for you and let you know which ones we think might be worth your time and which ones are a pass. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, Kim, I think I had more time to watch than you did. So mm-hmm. I will probably be updating you on a lot of these. Yeah. Amy mostly did the research for this particular episode. So. Which I was happy to do because I love Merchant Ivory. Merchant Ivory Jabvala. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to add her name in there. Yeah. We should just start adding that every time. We do <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the first film I watched, I wanted to just... Let's start at the very beginning mm-hmm. to quote Maria very good place to start. Okay, very good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first movie that Merchant Ivory actually did together was called The Householder, and they collaborated with Ruth on this movie because The Householder was a very popular novel that she had written. So they had gone to her and been like, we want to option this. I think somebody had said to James Ivory, oh, you should go do The Householder because nobody else in Hollywood is going to do it. So this is a black and white film. Watching it now, it's pretty dated looking. It almost seems like a student film. I mean, they're newbies. (laughs) They're figuring (laughs) this all out as they go. It has its moments of charm and humor. And you definitely have the sense after watching it, all right, this was not perfect in any sense of the word, but I can see what they can do. I'm interested to know more. Mm -hmm. So I can see why this would have started to generate interest for them in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, what can they do now? What can they do next? What could they do with money? You know, like what can they do once they've learned the trade a little bit more? So it's about a um, arranged marriage, a very young couple that are navigating their way and they're not getting along with each other. It's like Barefoot in the Park only. I don't remember. Isn't that Jane Fonda? That. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're a young married couple in New York. Okay. Uh, and they're yeah. navigating that anyway. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. So the main actor who plays the husband, quite young, his name is Shashi Kapoor. He went on to appear in a ton of Merchant Ivory films. So it's interesting to get to see him little baby Shashi. He's very cute. The woman playing the wife, I just loved her. She was really, really good, really feisty. Mm -hmm. I would say my verdict is you can probably skip the movie and just read the book if it's something you're interested in. However, if you are a huge Merchant Ivory fan and want to explore their oeuvre more, Mm -hmm. it might be fun for you to watch just to see their starting point and be able to say, you know, you've come a long way, baby, sort of. Yeah. Thing. And the fact that it was Ruth's novel and that they continued all three work together is, is so interesting. Also, when this movie came out, Jabvala, Merchant and Ivory all had the premiere or got to show it to Prime Minister Nehru. Mm. So a special screening where the Prime Minister watched it with them. So okay. um, that's kind of interesting fact. Um, so the next movie I watched... Well, let's stick with the India theme here because the next movie is called Shakespeare Walla, also filmed in India, also black and white. But this one instantly starts to feel more merchant ivory in terms of the cinematography. There is some beautiful scenery. The story revolves around this itinerant Shakespeare troupe in India called the Buckingham Players. And that kind of reminded me a little bit of Station Eleven, mm-hmm. you know, this little crew of yep. ragtag Shakespeare actors that travel from place to place and they put mm-hmm. on a show. 
it's starting to be the era of the cinema. And so India is transitioning into modern times. Shakespeare is being replaced by Bollywood film. So it's kind of like death of a salesman. You know, the patriarch of this theater troupe is sort of like, what's going to happen to us? What are we going to do now? Nobody wants to book us anymore. Um, The family that plays the Buckingham players were a real family of Shakespeare players in India. So they've got this famous Shakespeare troupe. And yeah, they're like, will you do a movie version of what you basically do? They were called the Kendall family. And so Shashi Kapoor from The Householder, he turns up again. And this is a fun twist. He ended up marrying the older sister of his love interest in Shakespeare Walla. Oh. Yeah. So he met and fell in love with one of the Kendall family members in that film. She has a small role in Shakespeare Walla. I would say my verdict on this one is watch it because it's an interesting world to be in, you know, just this world of Shakespeare players and the cinematography is really beautiful and different, like outdoor scenery of India and things like that. So yes, I liked that one. Um, My next selection, the title alone will grab you, Jane Austen in Manhattan. This is the one I was most excited to hear about when you were planning the ones that you were going to watch. Yeah. And it's funny because you'd think we would have heard of it and have already watched it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So this movie came about after a real manuscript of Jane Austen's. It was a play she'd written when she was 12 called Sir Charles Grandison. It went up for auction in the 1980s and a television arts program optioned the rights for producing a film version from the man who bought it at auction. So the television arts program said something to James Ivory, like, look, we're going to do this. Do you want to be the ones involved with it? Do you want to make the movie? And James Ivory is like a long lost Jane Austen play. Are you kidding? I don't even have to see it. Yes, I'm in. Well, he and Ruth sat down and read the play and it, sucked pretty much. (laughs) They were like, this is written by a 12-year-old and it's not even finished. So they basically were like, what do we do now? Because there's no way we can turn this into a film. So Ruth had a bright idea. She's like, let's turn the idea of the manuscript into a movie about two rival New York theater companies and producers who are vying to produce this first stage production of a long-lost Jane Austen play. So it's set in the 1980s. Once you know that origin story, the movie begins to make a little more sense. I would say this one is so bad, it's good. Okay. So it has Sean Young from Blade Runner. It's her very first film role. She's adorable in it. It has a cult-like element. So if you're into culty things, Mm -hmm. you'll probably get into this too, because uh, there's a cult-like figure who's sort of brainwashed the actors. But it's a lot of watching actors. Remember when we did Mariana, our very first episode? Uh Uh-huh. In that book, she goes to acting school and they do all sorts of weird exercises Mm -hmm. and it's so stupid and hilarious. Yeah. There's lots of that. Okay. It's like, make yourself limp, fall on the ground and pretend to be a piece of lettuce. So it kind of feels like a chorus line, men with bad perms, Uh like Shakespeare Walla, features a lot of the staged bits. Okay. So it's almost like you're watching the theater 
while you're watching the movie, you see them actually acted out in the dramatic portions. And yeah. that all kind of bored me in both movies, even though I like Shakespeare. I was like, I don't need to watch seven minutes of them reciting King Lear. Right. Especially because one of the um, theater companies for the Jane Austen troupe is very avant-garde. So they uh-huh. have this like very weird modernistic oh, take on the Jane Austen thing. And some of that went on and on too much. And I was over that, but I did like all the seventies cult stuff. It's really stupid, but I still say watch. <laughs> okay. You still say watch. Okay. Your jaw is just going to fall on the floor wow. laughing. It's okay. It's, yeah. Okay. Okay. Next movie, Morris. Oh, I'm excited about this one too, because I've always wanted to watch this one. Yes. Okay. So I'd never read the book, which is by E.M. Forrester. And I always, and maybe you did too, thought it was pronounced Maurice. I did think it was pronounced Maurice and I have not read the book. Yeah. So I guess in England, they pronounce M-A-U-R-I-C-E is Morris. We're learning so much about pronunciation that we never knew. I do remember one of the BGs was named Morris and he spelled his name that way. So oh, it makes sense. I didn't it's all know coming that. together. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Morris Gibb. Yes. Mm, okay. So um, interesting fact about Morris is that Ruth Jabvala, she wrote almost all of the adaptations for Ivory and Merchant's movies, but she declined to do the screenplay for Morris which is a gay love story. So according to James Ivory's memoir, she just wasn't a huge fan of this novel. She was just like, this is not Merchant Ivory caliber story. It's just not. However, the guy who was the lead in the movie, his name is James Wilby. He said in an interview that he surmised it was because she was uncomfortable writing about the gay romance. I don't believe this because you have to remember that she was best friends with James and Ismail, who were a couple in real life. Mm -hmm. They were as close as family. They lived in the same house every summer. They loved each other. Yeah, obviously they wouldn't have kept having this amazing partnership. If she had some issue with that. It doesn't seem like that would be the case. It doesn't make sense. So I'm not going to give credence to that. I don't think you can assume she had an issue with the subject matter, but it is something odd and interesting to note that she didn't write Morris. That's Mm -hmm. one of the few movies that she didn't have any part in. Mm -hmm. James Ivory did say in his memoir that he has never forgiven Ruth for refusing to do this one. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just going to leave it all there. We don't know. Make of it what you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You said you hadn't read the book either? No, I haven't. Okay. I've read a lot of Ian Forster, but not that one. I loved this movie so much. All my Merchant Ivory expectations, it met them all. Oh, wow. It had the room with a view kind of cinematography, the Uh vibe, the humor. In fact, several faces from Room with a View pop up throughout this movie, including Rupert Graves, Helena Bonham Carter, um, the guy that played Mr. Beeb, the reverend in Room with a View. He's in it. Mr. Emerson, George's father, is in it. And then also... um, Ben Kingsley is in it. He wasn't in Room with a View, but right. it's very, very Brideshead-y, Brideshead revisited-y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Brideshead-y. Because it is set at uh, Cambridge, I think. Oh my God, I've got to watch it. I'm so excited to see this. To me, there were no boring moments. Some of the other ones that I've mentioned so far, I would drift in and out with a little yeah. bit of boredom, but this one I really loved. 
Okay. And also, if you didn't know, James Ivory was also a producer and screenwriter on the 2017 film Call Me By Your Name. That's the adaptation of the novel by Andre Asimov. Yeah. And Ivory ended up winning his only Oscar to date for that film for Best Adapted Screenplay. And it made him the oldest person at age 89 to ever win an Oscar. It's amazing that that was his first, but he absolutely deserved it. Yeah. If anything, give the guy a lifetime achievement or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, my verdict, you definitely should watch this. It's an early example of a gay romance in film, you know, so for that alone, you should watch it. Mm -hmm. Plus the other male lead in the movie is Hugh Grant, who is beautiful. Yeah. I I mean, mean, I still love how stunning he is. He's got that floppy hair. Yeah. Wow. It's perfection. I loved it. Okay, Kim, you took on the next one. So Okay, so um, I started watching Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. I did not finish watching it. Um, that probably tells yeah, us Yeah, that something. tells a lot. It's kind of long. Um, it reminded me a, a couple weeks earlier, my husband and I had watched Ramblin' Rose, which is set in the South. And it's about a family sort of dealing with the changes that are happening in their world um, with sort of modern things coming into their like tight little world and what that means to them. And this was kind of like that too. It's Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, which that in itself is pretty cool because they were married for a very long time. And they actually made a movie together. Yeah, played a um, couple. Played a couple yeah. in the movie, a, co- a married couple. And sort of the forces outside of their marriage impacting their marriage and time impacting their marriage and that sort of the emptiness thing and everything. But that said, I did not finish it. So I guess that says something. Okay, so the book, as you may remember, listeners, was recommended to us by Hilma Wolitzer. It's one of her favorite books. And anything Hilma likes, we yes. are going to read. Um, it was written by Evan S. Cannell. So it sounds like skip the movie, read the book. Yeah. And let me also say that that movie, I think, is from 1990 or something like that. So it's not the best era for movies either. So I think maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Um, this is reminding me, though, that a while ago in one of the episodes, you had recommended A Fortnight in September by mm-hmm. R.C. Sheriff. And I actually did start listening to I, I'm listening to an audiobook version of it while I walk the dog. And I was so struck by the fact that that book reminded me so much of Mrs. Bridge. Just oh, like interesting. The daily, you know, not a lot happens, but there's mm-hmm. so much insight into the characters and their funny little picadillos, you know, the things that they worry about. And so I felt like Fortnite in September is almost like the British Mrs. Bridge, if you will. You know, the fact that you're saying that the movie, I think, is trying to be overly dramatic in that 1990 kind of way, and it doesn't fit the story. So that's, I think that may be what the problem was. Yeah. It was all so hidden and subdued because they're subdued people. But you're right. How do you show that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay. Another adaptation. Actually, this is the last one we'll talk about today. I mean, Maybe we could do a whole separate episode on Merchant Ivory's Henry James adaptations. But the last one I want to suggest, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, Morris and this one, which is called Quartet, are the ones that I'm going to recommend people run out to watch. So Quartet is based on a book by Jean Rhys, which is a roman a clay about her own affair with the writer Ford Maddox Ford. And this affair happened under his wife's kind of permissive eye. She kind of knew they were having an affair and was just like, well, 
So this one is basically Merchant Ivory meets Bohemian Paris in the Jazz Age. And oh I my mean, God. Think about Merchant Ivory going to the Jazz Age and Paris sold, right? Oh, I love it. The costumes, the hair, it's visually really perfect. And I will add that Maggie Smith is in it. I love her. Who doesn't love her? She plays the wife. This movie was made in the 80s. So she's probably in her 40s when this was filmed. And she's wonderful in it. The actress playing the Jean Reese character, her name is Isabel Ajani. Isabel Ajani. Oh, yeah. You know, she's her? amazing. Oh, yeah. She's huge. Yeah. She is exquisite. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't she's take incredible. Her eyes off her. Um, the only slight problem I had with it is she is so drop-dead gorgeous that it's hard to wrap your head around her attraction to this older man in the movie because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. not attractive or okay. like not feeling it. Mm-hmm. But this movie is total eye candy. You get Maggie Smith. I don't think I have to say anything else. Just watch it. That and Morris, I'm going to watch as soon as possible. Yeah. So there are a few more that I didn't get to, and I'll just give a quick shout out. A Soldier's Daughter Never Cries. That's based on a book by Kaylee Jones, who's kind of a lost lady of lit. So her dad was the author, James Jones, who wrote From Here to Eternity. So his daughter wrote this book and it's a fictionalized account of her dad, James Jones's life, apparently. Mm -hmm. Some of the stars in it are Lily Sobieski. Also, Chris Christopherson, who doesn't love him? Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. In the 90s. Yeah. And oh, Jane Birkin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, she's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one other one I want to say, which is The Wild Party, which is inspired by a blank verse narrative poem of 1926 about a disastrous Greenwich Village party <gasps> Ooh. given by a vaudeville comic in his walk up apartment. I'm reading the description of that. And that totally reminds me of The Unpossessed by Tess Lessinger. That's exactly what I thought of, too. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Wow. Originally, they were going to make that movie into a musical, but I guess they didn't. Okay. But it would have been interesting. A Merchant Ivory musical, you know, I would have been intrigued to see that. Yes. This is all making me want to go back and rewatch A Room with a View, you know, for my annual viewing. And then also Remains of the Day and Howard's End. And oh my God, speaking of A Room with a View, which I could just talk about the book and the movie forever. We could do a whole episode just on that. But I was recently reading Claire Louise Bennett's new book, Checkout 19 which I've been raving to you about, Amy. She wrote um, the brilliant novel Pond also, which came out a couple of years ago. I love this new book, Check Out 19. And there's a whole section about how the narrator, who is a burgeoning literary genius, is influenced by the book and the film and how it makes her feel when she eventually does visit Italy for the first time. Oh. When she does visit Italy for the first time. It's what I would have written if I were a literary genius, Amy. <laughs> so, I mean, you will love this book. I'm going to bring it over next time I see you. And let's go watch A Room with a View right now, Amy. Can we just watch it at the same time and text each oh, other while we're watching yeah. it? I'm going to start singing O Mio Bambino Claro or whatever that song is. Join us back here next week. And if you're loving this podcast, please show your appreciation by leaving us a glowing five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. Yes, thank you to everyone who's already left a review. Um, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Kim Askew and Amy Helms.